Thank you. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, Pebble Beach, AT&T, Pebble Beach Pro-Am, DraftKings picks in preview. If you out there want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, what you do you see is subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you like about the show, boom, winners announced on Monday. You want to get into a draw for 20 DraftKings dollars? Also, quite easy because you're watching this video. Smash the like button, leave your DraftKings handle, and give me your two favorite plays below $7,500 this week on DraftKings. That easy. If you want to play in the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League, the link is in the description of this video or podcast. If you cannot find that, despite me saying it on every show, there's something wrong with you, and you should probably get that checked out. Also, I will be taking all my stats and generating my lineups and use my custom modeling from FantasyNational.com. If you use FantasyNational.com PME, you get yourself a discount. Highly recommend it. Joining me on the line to break this all down from Osimo. Com. He is a fan favorite here on the Pat Mayo Experience. It's been What's up? What's up, man? Yeah, happy to uh, be here. I wish, I'm not going to lie, I wish it wasn't a, a three-course rotational, but boy, uh, this is the hand we've been dealt. Yeah, so you also were on for the American Express, the other three-course rotational event. So I guess you're a specialist at this? No, 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 no. Um, really not good at these. I don't like them. There are a couple of tricks, but I, I think the public is starting to catch on in terms of like course stacking and things like that. But this is the worst one because this is the one I always confuse with, the, you know, the celebrities and whatnot, uh, the longest rounds ever. Yeah. Do you think that actually play? I would like to see someone actually do real research on this. But do you think like the JB Holmes and Kevin Nas and Patrick Cantlay's of the world like Bryson should really be here, too? Like It's a perfect amount of time for him to play a eight hour round. Yeah, I mean, I certainly have done no research on this, but I think there may be something to that. You know, Jason Day can can chill out uh, and take, yeah, an eight hour round, like you said. So we'll see. I do like my guys having played here because I, I think it's a little unique, um, certainly atypical. But all in all, it's not I'm not overhauling a player pool just because of that. Well, we do see like course history by and large is a lot of noise most of the time. But there are a few that actually do correlate pretty well, like obviously Augusta with the same people playing the same layout every single year that you have a lot of similar results between guys that maybe they don't you know, rate out well statistically or they come in with bad form, but you get them to Augusta and all of a sudden they're good. I feel like this tournament is exactly the same way. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's partly due to the Pro-Am, but it's also partly due to Pebble. Um, you know, it's a kind of course I do think experience. It doesn't even mean I, I need a guy to just play really well every time, but just seeing it a couple of times. And then of course we do have those guys that are, uh, you know, seemingly even when they're playing bad, they come here and they play well. Yeah. There, there must be something to playing with the amateur partner. That's taken a bunch of time, like getting into that flow of it. And then you have the three course rotation that, you know, I would think that it throws you off your game just a little bit. And then Pebble being such a unique layout anyway, that having that experience does matter. Oh, for sure. Um, and there's just a lot of variance. You know, some of these courses, depending on which day you get it, uh, you know, if the wind is protected here and there, uh, whether you're at Monterey or at Pebble, um, we'll see. I think the weather won't play a huge deal this week, which is good, but it, it's still a lot of things that we normally don't have to factor in. Uh, so what 
tips and tricks would you be looking for for a three course rotation? I had a lot of success last year doing like I played I think I played 30 lineups last year and I dedicated 20 to my overall player pool and then I went and hand built like another nine or another 10 that you know one from Monterey start one from Spyglass start one from Pebble Beach start uh, and I just so casually ended up with like Phil and Casey and Scott Stallings all in the same lineup because they all just played together on the same wave. Yeah, that, that's really one of the tricks. I think people are starting to catch on. But, you know, normally we talk about tea time stacks. Here it would be a course stack. So if you want to group your guys uh, with a course. And, and one thing I'll say is it doesn't have to be all six. I, I mean, you can do that, of course. But it, when you're doing it, you don't have that many options at each price point. So if you want to take five guys and pivot, you actually can be more unique that way, uh, especially if the one guy that you isolate is one of the better players. Like we know that DJ, even if he got the wrong draw, if he gets going, it's not going to matter. And then you have five guys grouped together at the same starting point. Yeah, and it's not so much that you know exactly what's going to happen. It's no. just you put yourself in this position to get lucky. If thing, if for whatever reason Spyglass plays super easy one day and the, the other two courses play not necessarily super difficult, but like average. And then it's almost like when we were at Torrey Pines two weeks ago, anyone who played Showdown the first two days, like if you were taking people from the South Course, you were just doing it wrong. Oh yeah, very wrong. Um, and and and, I, and that's not to say the players at the South Course didn't perform well. It's just by and large they didn't. There were no. outliers to it, but wh- why would you even try to take that chance? Yeah, I mean if you're if you're smarter than me and you're taking Sebastian Kaplan on the South Course, more power to you. But I can't do that. Uh, and yeah, I just I go for I, I honestly embrace that we don't know. That's the whole point of stacking the courses. There may be a split, but we're not going to be able to identify it before Thursday. And that's how you can create edge just by covering different types of, uh, you know, permutations. And I would say that if things go disastrously, like all of a sudden fog rolls in or wind picks up, that if you are playing showdown this week, like Pebble Beach Golf Links, the course could be the easiest of the three, but it also seems to play the most difficult when the weather goes bad. Yeah, I I would agree with that. This is not as cut and dry as when, you know, when we had the South and the North, uh, where it was just like play the North. We'll have to see what we can glean in the next couple of days. But overall, I think you just want to be cognizant of where the guys are starting, try to group some correlation, and then, you know, just hope that you get the breaks and have a chance. This is, you know, you get 54 holes anyway, and then you just hope you get your guys to Sunday. Uh, A lot of the narrative this week is going to be that when you look at the past champions of this event, it's either really good players or like guys you just would have never considered, i.e. the Vaughn Taylors or the Ted Potters or DA points of the world. But... Instead of going searching for those guys, which I think a lot of people will do, and like even Jeff and I on the betting show, you know, we took a few long shots just because it's fun to do that. But when building your DraftKings roster, even in like the $5, like the main DraftKings tournament two years ago when Ted Potter won, he wasn't even in the winning lineup. Like, I think you're better off just trying to build the better team instead of trying to go searching for the rando who could win because it might not even, like, if you have him and he wins, then yeah, you're, you're going to do great. But I just don't think that there's upside to going to find that if you don't even need them anyway. Yeah. I mean, that kind of speaks to what we were just talking about. Like if, if you're a mega mind wizard and you can identify which of these made up people is going to win, then pick him, go ahead. But I obviously can't do that. Uh, I think that's foolish to start just spraying on these random guys and hoping that you nail one. You can build the player pool consisting of actual normal people. And like you said, a lot of years, those guys don't come into play and you really can shave off. Uh, you know, a decent percentage of of people who just take flyers that they probably shouldn't. 
Now, the one case for taking some of these flyers is that since every player gets 54 holes and the field gets cut down from 156 to top 60 in ties, so few players actually make the weekend and make the final round that if you're trying to get a 6-6, six of six, obviously that's the goal. That would be huge. However, I think that you can go pretty stars and scrubsy here if you have a lot of confidence at the top just because there's going to be no real difference between even a $6,200 player and a lot of the guys who are like 7400 yeah, I mean, it's 18 holes. It's not a ridiculous scoring fest in the sense where, you know, there's going to be even more punishing bonuses and whatnot. Not that it's not gettable. I don't want to make it like that, but I agree with that. It's still within reason. Um, you know, I don't know how aggressive you can be. We'll work down. Maybe you have some secret guys uh, in the low sixes, but it is a uh, leper colony down there. I'm not super thrilled about jamming. Well, we'll see how that ends up going. I do think that the Stars and Scrubs build is going to be the more popular build uh, over balance this week. Like when we run through the players, I think you'll see a lot of ownership, obviously at the top on whoever people like. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty coin flippy at the very top between who's going to be good and who's going to be bad. But then that upper 7K range, I think is going to generate a lot of ownership as well, meaning you're going to get like a real dead range between like Phil all the way down to Chez Reeby kind of thing. Good, because I like a lot of the dudes uh, in the upper eights. So maybe I mean, that'll be my natural leverage. I mean, that's my initial lean on it. Like when I was looking at the pricing, because there are two guys at the top I really like. And then I can't afford two of those other guys unless I go like two at the top, one in the eights, and then like high sixes, low sevens for the rest of my roster. And I, I feel like a lot of people are going to do that. They want to jam yeah. in the really good guys. I do too. Before we dive into the players, I did want to ask you, do you factor in the U.S. Open to something like this? I don't. I, I think it's fun to look at. Like, once we get down to Brandon Woo, that I like the fact that he made the cut at Pebble Beach at the U.S. Open. But to think that this tournament and its uniqueness in terms of three different courses and just the way that Pebble Beach itself is set up versus the U.S. Open, I don't think that there's a ton of correlation. Yeah, I don't really either. Um yeah, I was kind of just wondering. I say that, and then when we get to Hovland, I'm going to be like, well, you know, uh, guy was dealing. But overall, I'm more with you than not. I, I think that for people out there, you know, I got that question a couple of times over at Awesome already. Um, I don't really factor it in that much, to be honest. I think that it's helpful, but obviously yeah, we but saw at the U.S. Open, like, A, the field is far stronger. So someone like Paul Casey has a T21 at the U.S. Open. I mean, that's just an encouraging result. Like, if Gary Woodland was here this week after winning Pebble Beach for the U.S. Open, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, well, Gary's a good player. Are you picking him just because he won the U.S. Open here? Probably not. No, yeah, I, I think that's really pertinent, and it's totally different. Like we mentioned, this is a pro-am. The layout is significantly different. Yeah, so a lot of the guys that would have missed the cut because they made, I don't know, a whole bunch of triple bogeys at Pebble Beach during the U.S. Open, like, that's just not going to happen this week. No, no, they don't set up the course like that. So it's a different skill set, even though, of course, there is some overlap with what translates. Let's talk about the expensive guys, see if you can jam them all in. The most expensive player on the field. That was a pretty good sentence. Anyway, Dustin Johnson's the most expensive. He's $11,600, six and a half to one to win. He came second last week over in Saudi Arabia. He had played that Saudi tournament last year too, and it was his worst result at this tournament in like a decade. He won here like a decade ago, generally plays well every single year. Seems 
kind of pricey considering you're going to get three rounds out of everyone guaranteed anyway. Then you have Cantley at 10-9, Casey 10-5, Day 10-3, Brant Snedeker 10-1. I love Casey. I love Day. Uh, I was considering just playing 100% of lineups with those two guys as the leads. Interesting. I, I like Casey as well. Um, sets up prices reasonable really across the board. Uh, but I, I definitely like DJ more than you, it sounds like. Uh, you know, he was a little rocky. He was hurt. He wasn't doing much. Went to Saudi Arabia. I don't love the travel, but the game seems to be trending back. He plays this each and every year. This is not going to be anything new to him. Um, you know, he's just set up to compete here. Poa, not a problem. Really no issues. So I, I think that in a way, he's, I don't want to say he's overpriced because he's not, but I don't think he'll have the ownership that we would normally see. Uh, he's still going to be popular just because he's going to garner interest at the top, but I don't think it's going to be a massive situation where he's, you know, 30% owned or anything crazy. Uh, and that has some appeal to me. I guess the main reason I like Casey and Day is almost the same reason like I like them in the betting odds. If you had to ask me who I think just, you have one pick, no price, no odds, who's going to win? I think DJ and Cantlay are very clearly the two calls in that. Their skill set is just better than everyone else's. But the price point, like what I can do in terms of my second player and then you know the rest of the trickle-down effect on my rosters, and right now I have Casey projected as by far the highest-owned player. So if you want to ownership fade him because Dustin's going to be down, that makes a lot of logical sense to me. I just think Casey's going to do really well. I think Day is going to do really well. And then I like my third and fourth players on that team better than going Dustin and like phil as my first two guys and then moving on yeah i think there's a lot of merit to that um you know in cash I, i'll probably look to someone like casey i think he's more stable uh but to me dj as you mentioned he is clearly the betting favorite and whatnot um and i don't think the ownership will dictate it the wild card for me up top is sneds um you know he missed the cut last week he finally didn't putt good but he's a great putter he should set up perfectly here uh you know he's obviously had some success long term at Pebble. I don't know exactly where the ownership will fall there, but he's the cheapest of, of you know the big five, if you want to call him that. And I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I, I really don't think ownership will dictate too much interest in him overall. Right now, the early projections on a Tuesday have him significantly lower owned than all of the other four people above go. him. Like he's more in that range with the 9K guys of Fitz and Cooch and Phil and then Grayson McDowell are even lower down. People are actually going to Phil, which stuns me. I mean, yeah, it stuns me too. Uh, I'm certainly not going to do that. Um, I don't know what I expected him to be priced at, but I was kind of surprised to see him where he was. I don't know why, but I still couldn't believe he was 9,500. Five-time winner of the event, defending champion, like and he's Phil like he's going to garner that name recognition especially if the DraftKings pricing so closely mirrors what the betting odds are and if the betting odds will take into consideration things like course history and if the public just wants to bet on them like I think Phil's 20 to 1 or 22 to 1 to win this week like he should be like 100 to 1 yeah not yeah and he was you know he was good in Saudi Arabia but I have like look at these numbers yeah that's not the answer it looks like Spieth I'm not (laughs) I'm not about that. I, I'd rather play Fitzpatrick. Uh, you know, Fitz is my guy, 9,700. Should be a great course for him. Um, but all in all, as you mentioned, I think a lot of teams are going to try to get two people uh, above guys like Phil and Fitz and then work down from there. Yeah, like if you want, like, what do you make of Cantley? 
here because he sets like statistically besides Casey he rates out as the best player in this field for what this demands and we know he's a slow player anyway it's not going to be a big deal for him but I don't know there's just something about it. I'd rather take Casey that's the problem I have as well is like what he where I would use him in terms of what lineups is where I would probably use Casey and I'm not sure how many where I'll have both of them I want DJ exposure I like Sneds can't they make it squeeze to an extent? So I have absolutely no problem with him. Of course, he's a great player and he sets up fine here. I just have a feeling when all is said and done, I'm going to squeeze him quite a bit because of Casey and DJ. I think this set Snedeker call is kind of sharp. Just I can see him coming in with single digit ownership. And in, like I much prefer Casey and I much prefer Day. But if they're going to be three times as owned as Snedeker, like I, I know Snedeker can win just as often as these guys can, especially here. Absolutely. And I, I think coming off a miscut at waste management, which I don't worry about at all. Um, people are just not going to look there. He seems overpriced, but he has massive win equity. He can get crazy hot with the putter. And as you mentioned here of all places, we know what he can do. If he is significantly lower on than everybody else, I, I feel very comfortable taking the plunge. So the entire nine K range, Kucher is nine, nine. And then you have Fitz at nine, seven statistically, for my modeling on fantasynational.com, the stats that I input, and you might want to put in your own stats because, you know, I'm bad at this and other people are good at this, and maybe you have a better lean on it. But Casey's number one, Cantley's number two, Hovland is number three in that stat modeling, and Fitz is number four. So Mickelson, 95, Grace, 93, McDowell coming off the win in Saudi Arabia, 92, won the U.S. Open in 2010 here, as a lot of people remember. Hovland, 91, Jordo Spieth. In those same custom modeling, he ranks out 136th this week uh, in the power rankings. And I assume you didn't include the celebrities that would be ahead of him. So he'd actually be, he'd be in the 150s if you ran it fully. But Yeah, yeah. Ray Romano rates out slightly yeah. ahead of Jordan Spieth. Good point. Good point. Uh, you know, to me, Hovland is the wild card. He hasn't been great. I mentioned the U.S. Open. I'll mention it again. He, just, he was on fire. That was the best I feel like I've ever seen him play. We know he has the skill set, but where he's exactly at, the short game's been weak consistently. Uh, you can't really take apart the course with his driver. I'm not sure what to do in the low nines. That's a, That could be a dead range for me, ultimately. I like Grace the best, I think. I just like the way that he's been playing. He played well overseas. He acquitted himself quite nicely in Phoenix for the second consecutive year, and this is sort of like a... It's a wedge course, and he has really good wedges. We know how hot he can get with the putter. He's not a great putter, but he's very streaky, sort of like somewhere in between J.B. Holmes and the rest of the world. <laughs> uh, dear God. Uh, yeah, no, Grace really, I didn't know what to make of, you know, he won in South Africa, was playing well over there, came to waste management and gained across the board, you know, five strokes with the approach specifically. So I have no problem going there. Uh, again, though, wh where I can envision my lineup construction I have a feeling I pass on a guy like Grace to take two guys in the high eights instead of just one. Or just go all in on Jordan Spieth? That is one way. That's what I tried last week. Uh, oh, and God. It went, it went as you would imagine. Not all in, but I, I had more speed exposure than I normally do. It didn't work. Um, I, I don't know. I think he might just be broken for a while. I'm sure he'll get it back, but I don't even know, I can't even predict what the problem will be. I, I have no idea at this point. I I mean, I think that going, if you were going to overweight Spieth, and I, I really haven't decided yet, I probably won't end up doing that. But if there's a course to do it at that's not the Masters, it's probably this course? Yeah, I mean, 
If the same, if the same, if the same guys play well at this course every single year, regardless of form, by and large, I mean, Spieth has the best scoring average at this course of any player. Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be able to get in trouble off the tee. Uh, (laughs) Now, if you look at Spieth's 2019 statistics, from what we can see, he proved that horribly wrong. He got in major trouble off the tee. I just, I really don't know. Ownership will dictate it if he's minuscule owned maybe i'll take some stabs but and he's an interesting pivot because burger is going to be really popular and i i I like burger but you know it's still daniel burger so i'll have to look into it but from the statistics standpoint speed it's just a -a whack-a-mole every time one thing comes around he he has another problem yeah his second round now last year i was on mickelson because he had a disastrous first day in phoenix uh the putter wasn't working he couldn't drive the ball couldn't do anything but then in round two he actually acquitted himself quite nicely he just couldn't rebound enough to make the cut spieth is kind of did that last week uh, i can't remember the last time that spieth actually gained with both his driver and with his irons but he did in the second round in phoenix there you go and then he couldn't putt for a change it's like I said, I, I don't really know. You can't glean anything from him because I'm sure he said, oh, you know, things are things feel good. I'm very close. Uh, excited what direction I'm heading in. Like he says, every event. But we'll see. I mean, the price is reasonable. The field is weak. It's nothing like that. I'm just not exactly sure where the game is, and that's kind of scary. Well, you would kind of hit on it that Burger is going to be popular. Hovland's also going to be incredibly popular. And he's sandwiched right in between them. So whatever the projection is for Spieth right now, I actually think it's going to be lower than maybe you know, computer calculations can go through because we know that everyone's gravitating towards the two players right around him. Yeah, a sandwich spot in pricing is something I, I take seriously. Like when you have two, two guys and you're a natural pivot in the middle, um, that's always really appealing. It's just, you have to try to justify how much of a discount are you getting? Uh, if it's negligible, if it's close, I will take the, the prudent play, which is probably going to the chalkier guys. But if it's significant, you may have to roll the dice, especially if you don't have leverage elsewhere. So the entire eight K's burger is the most expensive at $8,900. I'll probably be on fade burger this week just because I don't think he's significantly better than a lot of these guys. Then you got Champ, Norin, Knox, Kisner, Rafa, Cabrera, Bayo, who also played last week in Saudi Arabia. Max Hama coming off a nice week in Phoenix. Shez coming off a just disastrous week again. Hadwin and then Kurt Kitayama at $8,000. Did not play in Saudi Arabia last week. Played two weeks ago in Dubai and came inside the top 10. Ownership-wise right now, Knox is garnering basically all of it. He's projected around 20% at the moment because that's where my eyes went immediately too. Good course for him. He's playing really well. You hope the putter ends up coming along. After that, it appears like it's going to be Berger and Adam Hadwin driving most of the ownership. But for whatever reason, and they've both been playing really well so far this year at least, and even dating back a little bit into last year, but I think that Champ and Norin set up really well. I'll split the difference. I like Norin. Um, he's been gaining everywhere after that horrible stretch. You know, it started to turn around a bit, but he was good, at, particularly at the Amex. Uh, and I like this. I think he sets up well for this course. Champ, I, I'll i pass it right back to you. I, I don't even know what to make of him. He's perpetually overpriced, in my opinion, but he also has upside. So it, it's kind of appealing, but I just, I have trouble paying 8800 for a guy that, in my opinion, misses a he misses a lot of cuts, uh, not as consistent, even though he has been playing well recently. I, I think we get a like a skewed idea of 
Cam Champ. I think like he exists in our heads in a different way he exists in real life. So, so far in the season, his first event was Sanderson Farms. He was 28th. Uh, he had won that tournament the year before. Won the Safeway the following week, missed the cut at the Shriners. 23rd in Houston, 33rd at OHL, 14th at the Tournament of Champions, 21st at the American Express, 16th at the Farmers. Like he's been pretty consistent. He was T12 at this event last year. Yeah, I mean, those numbers, they certainly don't lie. Uh, 28th at this event last year, sorry. It's not exactly what I envisioned. I just, I have trouble with Champ. There's no doubt about it. I, I have a hard time placing him price-wise, ownership-wise. Uh, his skill set is so atypical with the way he does it off the tee. The rest of his game, I mean, especially during the streak you're referencing, has been more well-rounded. He's not just a pure bomber. Uh, definitely Norn for me. Then you have Knox. And then for me, I really like Kisner in this spot. Uh, certainly not even remotely related to Champ, but he was really good at Sony. He can get crazy hot, wedges, putting. Uh, I think he sets up great at 8,500. I like Kisner as well. He sort of falls into that Hadwin bucket of very similar style of players, and he's played well at Pebble in the past. I, there was something about, because I used him a lot at the American Express, and like he was a disaster through like a round and a half, and then kind of got it back together but failed to make the weekend. I don't know. I, I guess people aren't going to use him, which I find kind of surprising, considering we were all gung-ho to use Kisner for a while. Yeah, that is... I, I'm hoping that Knox really, you know, gravitates and polarizes the entire range. And it's not to say I don't like Knox, but when you have guys like Kiz, Norin, um, there's just other names in there that I'm interested in outside of Berger and Knox. So I think this is a range that if you get it right, if you can pick this one guy, it can make a huge difference. Will you go with the course history of one Chez Revy or the recent form of one Chez Revy? No, I'll go with the recent form of one Chez Revy. Not, not a Chez guy. Uh, he was awful last week. That was really bad. He's been, he's been bad through three events so far, like really bad. That's what I'm saying. He's in the, like, I'm somewhat concerned about what's going on range. Uh, and there's just other guys, you know, RCB, if you wanted to take, I don't want to call him a flyer, but. I'd rather go there. Do you, are, are you going to take the guys that are coming from overseas? Like Rafa just like, I don't know how moving from Saudi Arabia to the West coast of the United States is an 11 hour difference, but like, it seems like a crappy flight. It's not ideal. Um, it's tough. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want that. I don't think it's ideal, but you know, RCB he's done. I'm sure a lot of those flights in his time. I'm not sure he's done Saudi Arabia to California, but you know, he'll deal. He's not going to be even near the exposure I have with someone like Kisner or Norin or Knox. Uh, but he's still a damn good player that if he gets going and, and he's not affected by the travel, he'll, he'll be just fine. So I'm going to go Norin and Kisner might end up using champ in the $8,000 range. I think that if you're going to hit this, like I do like Russell Knox objectively. If you want to use him in cash games, go nuts. But if he's going to garner like 25% ownership, which it could shake out that way, that as someone who owns Russell Knox every single week, I, I know how this turns out. Oh, correct. You and me both. I played him at Farmers. People didn't think he could reach, uh, and he was just fine. But chalk Russell Knox, especially when the putter's been cooperating, like he's gaining strokes significantly on the greens the last couple events. That's a dangerous game. So I, I'm with you. It's not to say I'm fading Russell Knox because I'm not, but I will take the pivots uh, on teams where I feel comfortable with the leverage on guys like Kisner and Norin. And it becomes a situation, too, where there are going to be so few players used in the $8,000 range just because of lineup construction to begin with that 
if you do overweight yourself on Kisner and Noren and maybe one of the other guys that no one else is using, maybe it is Rafa Cabrera Bayo. I don't know. I'm pensive on that because Knox and Hadwin and Berger seem to be generating all this ownership that it honestly like is a 25% Russell Knox better than a 10% Kevin Streelman for over a thousand dollars less. Yeah, probably not. Um, you know, and there's a lot of factors that go into that, but when you have concentrated chalk in a cut with 60 guys and you're getting three rounds, a lot, a lot of that stuff, factor and you can take the pivots uh it's just about a finding the right pivots and you don't want to take all the chalk and pivot at the same time of course you're just looking to create a couple avenues that if you get it right you have you know an advantage on the field kurt kitiyama you interrupt yep. I'm, I'm out i think i'm out too uh i bet against him on a couple head-to-heads in life so that's step one of probably fading him i, I just again it, it's, it's a tough tie to gauge he's an american playing in europe He's he's a good player, but I just when I've seen him on the PJ tour, it has not been good at flat 8K. I'm probably not there either. It it seems like he should be significantly cheaper. Like, again, I'll use the Kevin Streelman example. Maybe the upside for Kitayama is much higher than Streelman as like a talent over the next 10 years. But where they are currently situated, if you threw Streelman under the European tour, I feel like he'd be pretty good. Yeah, I, it's hard to argue with that. And, and like I said, it's limited, but we've, we haven't seen Kitayama do pretty much anything um, on the PGA Tour. So it, more starts that he gets, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But I'm not going to be the one uh, at, at 8K where you need a, a pretty decent showing to, to pay off that tag. $7,000 range. We've got some names in here. I worry that Kevin Na can't hit a fairway uh, and like loses way more strokes off the tee than everyone ever so far this year but the approaches are dialed in he has a great track record at this event he's great with his wedges i think i like kevin now the best i mean kevin now's a guy he's shown it a couple times now he can he can kind of come out of nowhere and win he can get crazy hot i think he's just someone if you make uh you know more than a handful of teams you probably want some gpp exposure to just because of the way he plays it's a weird range, though. Uh, I'm probably, I don't know if it's a trap, but I'm going to play some Scott Piercy. He was really good last week at waste management with the irons. He even gained with the putter uh, three for three and made cuts here. I feel good with him. And then you've got, I mean, Scott Scollings is going to be pretty obvious based on the course history. I'm not exactly sure what I want to do there, but at 7,600, he has caught my eye. Yeah, I think I'm going to pass on Stallings. Like, Stallings and Streelman both rate out as pretty popular plays. And when I talked about off the top of jamming in the two guys, then dropping to this range, early ownership projections do reflect this because Hoagie, Furyk, Piercy, Stallings, and Streelman are all projected for more than 10% ownership right now. So I have a couple names that are real levels of egregious we'll start this one's i guess a gray area egregious patrick rogers he seems to be like i looked into patrick rogers as well he got hot again sunday <laughs> uh in phoenix it does seem like there's a time for patrick rogers to come and do this and this feels like the week i don't think that we're going to be alone on that call though okay that's fair i mean he's doing it all with uh, i don't putting voodoo, putting yeah voodoo magic uh off the tee from the clouds at waste management. He, I don't know what that really even means. He gained six strokes off the tee. Uh, I, yeah, I don't want popular Patrick Rogers. Let me be clear. But if he's a natural pivot off Streelman and 
Stallings, I may look there for a guy who's playing pretty well. So I think that avoiding most of the upper echelon of the 7,000s might actually end up being the move here. Like, I like Furyk. I like Piercy. I like Tom Hoagie. Hollywood Hoagie, our guy. Even JB uh, rates out really well for here. And he's playing excellently coming in. Like, just, it's almost like the Ryan Palmer effect where, I mean, obviously Ryan Palmer missed the cut last week. However, like with JB Holmes, he's come T14 in his past two events. Pace of play, not going to be a problem for him. So it might be a bit too quick for him this week. <laughs> But like, if you could just get another top four, like tied for 14th out of him at $7,900, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you can keep this up, he's he's playing very well. There's no doubt. Um, again, with me personally, the way my lineups, for the most part, I think are going to fall, I'll avoid this range because I'm probably going to jam significantly right above this in the 8Ks. And then I'll, I'll prob- probably dovetail at an end with two guys below this whether it's low low sevens or high sixes so the guys that i'm looking at right now for this course in the 7k range kevin na is one of them low ownership perfect skill set has win equity after that i will eat the chalk with streelman in a lot of places but rogers is one of them i gave a long look to i'm considering him i'm using sung kang at seventy three hundred dollars charlie hoffman at seventy two hundred dollars i think i gotta go with our guy hubba hubbard seventy two hundred Okay. I mean, yeah, price, not bad. Uh, makes birdies. Th- makes birdies. I don't hate that. I, I really don't. Um, there's a couple other names, though. We've got Zing Zoon Zhang, 72. You, no? know what? You, know, you know I like Zhang. I know you do. That's why I mentioned him. That's why I mentioned him before I mentioned Maverick. I tried to soften the blow uh, of what's about to come with, with Maverick, who's making cuts consistently. I don't know if the skills really or, you know, super there. He's kind of all over the place, but he has made a lot of cuts in a row and he's starting to find it, I think. So it's a long-term buy. I've been playing him. Price is starting to rise, but it's still pretty reasonable in my opinion. What What is he even doing well? Like, I know the results have Nothing. been good, but like we, we look at Patrick Rod, I guess he gained across the board at Farmers, gained across the board at Amex in the two rounds that he played at the stadium course, gained off the tee at the RSM. Yeah, I can probably get behind him to tell you the truth. I believe he's a much better POA putter than anything else, too. See? It's all coming together. Mav, let's do it. Let's do it. Mav McNeely, 7300 bucks. Will you have... I know you said, you know, what are you, 2030S team, something like that? Yeah. Any Aaron Wise? No. Yeah, I figured not. I, okay, I'm trying. I've been better. I've been playing less and less. He's really bad right now. It's not working. Well, would you go with Hubbard or would you go with Hadley? Because Hadley was like second in birdies last week. Yeah, I know, but and I, I'm not saying it's going to be like brutal conditions, but he scares me so much with small greens. Yeah. Like if but, he misses, but he was so, good. He, he was like T22 at the U.S. Open. I know, but that just is it, that's illogical. I I can't accept that. Um, I'm a Hadley guy. I think I would lean to Hubbard though. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not, even Harry Higgs who I love. Um, if you wanted a flyer, you could just go to him, even though I don't really like the course setup at all. PGA Tours, Jeff Feinberg, Harry Higgs. Harry Higgs is just the man. I, I'm. This guy has been one of the few bright spots in a couple really ugly weeks for me. You've been using him every week. Oh, yeah. I've been. He consistently, you know, at Farmers, uh, he was great, and no doubt about it. And I, I really have been buying... I mean, he was making straight snowmen multiple at the Amex. He had one at Sony. When he avoids that, it's great. And now he gained eight strokes putting 
last week at Waste Management. Uh, that's an outlier, of course, but you could do worse than him at 7,200. Per the stats, Lonto still rates out 10, and stats are really difficult this time of year. So especially when you're looking back at a course like this or even in the American Express where two of the three courses don't even have shot length data, where you only get three of the four rounds from Torrey Pines. And then when you go back to the swing season, there's only three rounds of the RSM that actually have shot length data. So everything from before that happened basically in the FedEx Cup playoffs back through the early summer, if you go back and look long enough. Hence why Lonto and Victor Hovland, for example, rate out really, really well. Probably off Lonto right now, but Cameron Tringali rates out eighth for me when we talk about like wedges and short iron play which a lot of these approach shots are gonna be and even scoring on 350 to 400 yard par fours he rates out really really well i think i'm gonna go back yeah i don't mind that either and you know after the miscut last week people will be ter- deterred the thing about cameron Gringali, and i don't know why this is he misses the cut at the waste management every year uh he's just absolutely horrendous there i don't really understand but he's missed it now five straight so I'm going to jump right back on the skill set sets up and that miscuts not really going to, you know, prevent me from, from getting overweight on a guy that's playing good golf. When you zoom out at a macro level, six K guys, the first one up I see here, and I want to kind of get your opinion on them. It's 6,900 Brian Stewart. Okay. I thought you were going to say Brian gay or Charles who's completely dust. Yeah. I don't, I don't uh, think we're going to be using Charles. <laughs> maybe at Valspar, maybe he can get it together for Valspar. I hope. Um, Brian Stewart. Yeah. He's an interesting name. I usually go to him more on Bermuda. Uh, he's a really good Bermuda putter kind of stats are a little blah, but he pops every now and then in in different categories. So I I like guys like that. I I think, I think it's like a short course thing. Like it, the, the biggest thing about this event that it really does take driving distance out of play. Not always because driving distance is always going to be good to have, but it's not such a, like we get to Riviera next week. It's going to be a real problem if you don't drive the ball pretty far out there. This week, not so much. No, not at all. There's different ways to gain off the tee here. You can club down. A lot of those, and we've seen that with the winners, and I'm about to mention a couple real uh, sketchy plays that that factor that in. But I don't really, you know, Affy Barnrad is there. I have no feel on him. Probably not going to get there. And then your boy Brandon Wu is there at 6,900. I'm going to use Brandon Wu, I think. I think the upside for him, especially at this price, and he's basically made every cut he's been on on the PGA Tour. Like, he even flirted with the lead at Torrey Pines for a while. Like, and this field is significantly worse than that. I just think that if you're going to roll the dice on one of these like $6,000 guys, you can take Bo Hogg or David Hearn or take a fly around a guy who could be like legit awesome. Hey, I talk about that concept all the time where in a year from now, we could all look back and say, can you believe that Brandon Wu was sub 7K in a field like this? He should have been 9,500. That's possible. Whereas, as you just mentioned, some of the guys where we kind of know who they are, it's where they belong. Um, But JJ Spawn at 6,800. Pass. Oh, really? Everyone is on JJ Spawn. Great. You see, this is what happens when you live in like a bunker like me. I don't know these things. Uh, your really, your your boy golf man made him the uh, the Vegas Dave super pick of the week. I'm gonna have to have a talk with Tim on our show later today because, ah, oh boy, I mean he was just so good with the irons. He was so bad with the short game. The, the results haven't been there. I, I just think he's trending upwards stat wise. 
Look, listen, I, I think everything you say is absolutely correct when it comes to Spawn. Yeah, the ball striking is there. The putting hasn't been. He's a great price. Uh, him in California has always been a really good thing. Guys from San Diego, so it makes a lot of sense that he's very used to this style of green. I just don't want to play like a 15% JJ Spawn when like he's just not that much better than any of these guys. Okay. No. Well, then I'll, I'll, I'll get my last guy out of the way, and I can promise you no one in the world is going to play this guy. It's Jason Duffner. Duffner rates out exceptionally well. Duffner is... But he, he I, can't, I, like, he can't putt, man. He just can't. He could, he, he can. At the Farmers, though, he was really good with the short game. Uh, really atypical. I'm not saying that's going to become the standard, but it was the first time that he's lost off the tee in, you know, six months. First time he's gained strokes putting in six months. I'm hoping, you know, maybe he can hold the putting while the off the tee quickly corrects. Short course, talking, I'm sub 1% here, I think, in ownership. I don't hate it as a pure flyer. It makes sense that he would have lost off the tee at Farmers because he doesn't generally play, like, really long courses like Torrey Pines is. Like, he, this, this is more of an event for him. Shorter course, hit some fairways, Definitely. just get hot with the irons. That's Duffner's entire game. That's what I'm saying. It, this is a much better layout for him. He did, maybe he found something on the greens. Like I said, that's the first time he's gained going all the way back to the 3M, which was in July. Uh, and, I, you know, you just look over, I, I think there's a little correlation to some of the Amex courses and things like that. I, I don't hate it. Um, even if you want to, <laughs> again, I'll look for things to make this case. He was 35th at the US Open here. I'm going to have some Duffner, and that is a sentence I haven't said in a long, long time. Uh, per the stats that I have ran through the modeling over the past 36 rounds, he rates out ninth in this field in the power rankings. There you go. And he fills a much needed. There's not much down here. I'm interested to see if you have other guys because it is pretty ugly. Bill Haas? Well, I mean, we know the goat is down here. He's just, he can't putt, which is like, I don't really understand. He had enough problems without not putting. If he loses that, it's all over. Strokes gained total between these three courses over the past 24 rounds uh, per round averages. Bill Haas, number two behind Paul Casey, one spot ahead of Jason Day and Dustin Johnson. Yeah, I mean, this is a great Bill Haas type of thing. I just, he may not have any gears anymore. That's a real question to ask. I'm just not sure what else you do, though, if you need someone, you know, hovering around 65-ish, give or take. So I, I do want to retract what I said about Spawn sort of initially. Just everyone that, and this is, becomes a problem with any sort of aspect on life when you live so much on the Twitter box, is that it does seem like everyone who writes about it, everyone who talks about it, is sort of on J.J. Spawn this week. I have no idea if the general population who plays DraftKings off even knows who J.J. Spawn is. Yeah, and I mean, with most guys, it... it it falls in the middle. Um, uh, he's not going to be, you're, you're totally right. He's not going to be unpopular relative to where he's at, but he may be a name that starts to to get some traction. And I, I rely on people smarter than me to gauge ownership. That's one of the tools that we have. Uh, it's just tough. You, you don't want to start overhauling just based on ownership, but you also have to consider it. Uh, Doc Redman, stats like him, probably going to be the chalk in the $6,000 range. I'm probably good with the fade there. Yeah, I don't think I'm there either. Uh, I totally get it. The stats are going to bear out with him. I'm just not exactly sure uh, how good the course fit is. And, and 
I'm not looking, I, I think with the way my teams are going to be constructed, I don't need to make crazy stands down here on most of them. Yeah, I have my flyers as we talked about, but Doc Redman to, to me is a spot that I can kind of get away from. I feel pretty comfortable with that. So other guys that I'm considering using one guy that hits a ton of fairways and the approach game was like fire in Phoenix, despite the fact that he missed the cut three and a half strokes gained on approach through two days. Couldn't make a putt. Tyler Duncan. T dunks. You're good. I like T dunks. He's a good player tour winner. Um, Yeah. I mean, after RSM, it's been bad, but that comes with the territory. He should be able to mitigate off the tee here. You're not going to find much down here you know I, I looked quite a bit i looked at tim wilkinson eh. i looked at mark anderson i don't really know who that is but he's oh, made mark, a couple of cuts mark andacust uh, well that that can't be a good sign is he is he a real person on I, tour is, i don't know he could be a creative player for all i know duncan was 22nd at this event last year all right there you go um and then we get into the trap i wanted to ask you this too what do you do with guys that just have no status they have no recent form like you got Lingmurth, Sheamus, guys like that who they're just kind of blank slates. Do you even consider guys like that? Not really. I think if you had a particular take on why they would be good here, and maybe like, hey, Sheamus gets so incredibly hot with the putter that this is a perfect course for him because this is essentially a pitch and putt. Like, if you can mm-hmm. get hot with a putter at this event in particular, and it does seem to be like knowing these types of greens really does go a long way to like at least developing some consistency year after year on the greens that maybe you like Seamus. I'm not big on it, but I am going to play Luke Donald. <laughs> okay. Old Luke Donald, man. You want a case I, for, you want a case for Luke Donald beyond please. what, beyond what, uh, what Feinberg had pointed out that, you know, Westwood and McDowell have already won this year. So why not okay. Luke Donald as well? But looking at it, like, I mean, obviously putting, he putted really, really poorly last week. Uh, which is super atypical for Luke Donald. Mm. But he has now gained on approaches in four of his past five weighted events. Now, he sucks off the tee, like always, but off the tee work, unless you're hitting it into the ocean, really doesn't mean that much here. No, that's true. I I mean, yeah, you just have to keep it together. If he could be, you know, around zero uh, off the tee, that, that should do it. I just, you can't be losing four, five, some of these strokes gained off the tee are Wesley Bryan-esque. That's not going to work. Um, but I, I don't really have many counters of who I would rather use than Luke Donald. My, my real goal is to not go down here as much as possible. I think if you want to, that could be the move. Like statistically, Ryan Armour does perf- everything you would want at this course. Just he has been trash in 2020. Yeah, he's not... <sighs> I usually, you know, I like to roll the dice. Like, I, I'm looking at Roberto Castro, but he's one of the guys we just talked about. He hasn't played in ages. I know, and I don't know. That that really scares me. I don't know if I can do it. I wish we had some data on him recently because at 6,400, I, I probably would have had some exposure if, if it wasn't for that giant layoff. So I used Castro here two years ago because when you go back and, like, look at all the guys that can, like, make the game, maybe it's 2017. I used him here. It was 2017 because I had a fire lineup on the go and he was the sixth piece. He missed the cut on the number. And I was so tilted that if basically if he had made the cut, I would have won like 20 K and he didn't. So this is what happens when you invest in Roberto Castro, bad guy, sad. (laughs) I hate to tell you this, but my Roberto Castro story is the complete opposite. I had him at Wells Fargo. uh, Where (laughs) he came second. 
Yeah, the year he came second to James Hahn. Um, great human. Really, really saved me that week. But he, there's just names down here. Like I said, you got Doug Gim. Um, he's Gim, way the, down. The Gim Reaper? Yeah, the Gim Reaper is not doing much lately. Check uh, Peter. The last guy I'll mention for serious, Peter Monaldi is a great putter. That's the one thing I can say about his game. Uh, everything else is pretty bad. But if you're looking for someone who could get potentially really hot on the greens, Peter Malnati, a great putter. So I've just sorted past 50 rounds. Maybe I'll shrink that down a little bit. Let's do last 24 rounds. Fun thing you can do, fantasynational.com slash PME for the discount. Go customize this any way that you'd like. When you fuck around on Fantasy National, do you look at this stuff or do you just basically use it as, hey, this guy's approach is good. I'll put the star next to him and throw him in my player pool. Yeah, I mean... I definitely mess around with it. I, I do some different things. I, I certainly don't consider myself a slave uh, to any projections or tools, but I, I use them just to try to buy low, identify. Um, and that's the, that's the benefit of things like that. You can really try to be early. And that's really what it's all about. You, you may be too early uh, or you may be wrong, but you want to try to identify a guy before the pricing catches up. So... If you sort by courses less than 7,200 yards over the past 24 rounds in total strokes gained, I mean, we can look at Tita Green, we can look at ball striking, but a lot of these courses, at least in the sample, uh, are not going to have shot length data. So they're, you're going to be missing rounds. At least with total, we can take that from any particular course in general. Even if there's no shot length, we can get strokes gained total. Very easy to calculate. Number one on those courses over the past 24 rounds. Here are the top 10. Cantley, Casey, DJ. One, two, three. Norin, Von Taylor, Russell Knox, Snedeker, Big Vic Energy, Kevin Na, Lonto Griffin, Daniel Berger. Those are your top 10. Honestly, not a ton of surprise, like surprises. Lanto, just because of, you know, you, it's a question of is it bad data at this point? I'm not ready to go there just yet. Norin, better than I thought he would be, but I, I also really like him this week, so... It's an easy buy for me. So and now it gets a little bit trickier. If you're looking for sleepers, if you look at like the next 15 type of guys, because that's where like they're like, really? So after Berger, it's Gay Kucher, inventor of basketball, James Naismith, mm-hmm. Harry Higgs, Jim Furick, Nick Taylor, who also rates out really well on short par fours over and over, Stewart, HV3, Matt Jones, Pat Perez, Norlander, Maverick McNeely, Tyler Duncan, Adam Hadwin, Tom Hoagie. Yeah, now it opens up. I mean, you know, that first batch of 10 that you talked about, it was pretty concentrated. Uh, You know, you had some mid eights to the top. You got 6K guys, 7K guys, sleepers, fits a lot of different price points. And not that those guys are automatically going to play well, but at least you have some options. Phil, not great on short courses or, or courses in general. Golf overarching theme um yeah i I, listen at the top of the show you talked about this i'm sure there's a couple guys from the depths that are going to play well but i i really don't have too much of an insight on how you identify those particular guys i think it's better to just keep it steady and not try to spray too much i like that i hope day and casey come one and two. Oh, you know the one guy we didn't talk about and i told you he was gonna win i was gonna save this to now jimmy walker is seventy two hundred dollars play jimmy walker use jimmy walker he's probably gonna win this tournament i remember you saying that did you bet jimmy walker i did 125 to one okay that's not bad it's 
I, I know you also said this at the top. This is a week and I, you can open it up a little. Uh, I may take a couple of stabs with guys in triple digits. Yeah, and even it's like you know that there's going to be a few of those guys just lurking around the leaderboard anyway, that if yep. you can get them into like a 1v1 situation with one of the good players, you're going to eat some of the rake on like the minus 120, even if they're like losing by a stroke or something. But you, you can pretty much have a good hedge situation. Like Stallings really presented that for me last year, and I had Phil uh, in the outright market, so that really turned out great. But you can find like if you had Von Taylor the year that he won, I think he was like 700 to one or something. Yeah. I don't know. Those, those days are, are pretty much over because of guys like Von Taylor, but you can find, um, you know, 125 to 150, a couple guys, even higher than that. Not to say they're going to win. Uh, like you mentioned, I Casey is someone I looked at. It can be done though. This is a field that's pretty wide open. Uh, Walker, by the way, has gained on approaches in five of his past six events. He sucks off the tee. That's mitigated here. And when you get him on POA, guy putts. Hey, it's Jimmy Jimmy Walker, you know, a major winner, Jimmy Walker. So he, he can handle it. Yeah, used to be awesome, Jimmy Walker. Yeah, Lyme's disease. It'll mess you up. It'll get you every time. That's what he had, didn't he? Yeah, Lyme's I, to- I totally forgot he had Lyme disease. Yeah, I've had Lyme's disease. It's this is what you turn out. Let that be a lesson for people out there. You have, uh, to, you have to start analyzing golf rather than yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. It's my uh, golf career was over before it started because of Lyme disease. Sad, but yeah, Jimmy Walker, seventy two hundred. It's not not the worst play in the world by any stretch. How long ago did you have Lyme disease? Oh, uh, it was it was uh, not that anyone cares about this. I was in high school and I was like, I couldn't practice for sports. I was so tired all the time, and they thought I had mono. Um, and I, they couldn't figure it out. And finally, they realized that I had Lyme disease. I never found a tick or anything. That's crazy. Yeah, so it basically just drains you of energy. And like it lingers, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm still tired. I'm exhausted. That was like 15 years ago. So it'll get you. <laughs> ben Raza, what's the schedule this week over at Asimo? And are you digging deep into college basketball now that football is over? Yeah, tourney time's coming up. Uh, certainly have content over there for Asimo. So come check that out. We'll have some fun stuff. For March Madness, but we have shows, uh, PGA, me and Tim Frank, Tuesdays, 2.30 EST, uh, me and Jason Roslin, Wednesday nights at 8.30, projections provided by Awesomeo, ownership, all those tools. You can use the promo code JazzRaz, 50% off a week. You can get in, try it out. We'd love to have you as part of the community. All right. You can follow Ben on Twitter as well at JazzRazDFS. The next time we speak, oh no, it'll probably be the week of the DFS Open. Maybe we'll do a Honda Classic. Maybe we'll have to get you and Rick both on the Honda Classic show, and then we'll go play golf together. Then we'll do it. Sounds like a plan to me. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I love the Florida swing. Uh, Excited to get past this last rotational and and get to some of my favorite tournaments. I mean, I'm just excited to go to the DFS Open. Like, I didn't even care about playing golf or going to the Honda. It just, I I keep checking the weather, and it's so goddamn warm. I'm just like, oh, this this sounds great. All of that is true. Uh, Yeah, playing golf is not something I, I do. Uh, regularly, but I'm excited to get down there as well. It's quite cold here. Yeah, I, I went to Vegas like two weeks ago when it was fucking freezing. What? Really? Yeah, hmm. it was It was like seven degrees Celsius. Yeah. I don't know. Celsius, what it is. Like yeah, I always say like a million seven. Fahrenheit or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been to Vegas multiple times. In the winter, it does get cold, but I, I just, I always picture it hotter than it probably is it's it's cold in new york let me tell you yeah well the move is just you know don't go outside in vegas then it's not really going to affect you it's pretty easy not to go outside in vegas at all absolutely can can uh, confirm all right pat mayo follow me twitter instagram and the facebook's at 
the PM me if you want to get into a draw for 100 DK bucks. Sub to that audio and leave a review. Smash the like. Leave your DraftKings handle. Two favorite players under $7,500 for a draw for 20 DK dollars. FantasyNational.com slash PME. Get yourself a discount and get ahead of the game, especially with all the fun shot link tournaments actually coming up soon. Be far more valuable now than almost in any other stretch of the year. Some big tournaments on DraftKings to utilize as well. Plus the Pat Mayo Experience Listeners League. Link is in the description. It's already more than half full and we're up to 3,500 users this week. And let's try to fill it again quickly because, hey, we can get more and more and more rake-free money into that pool every single week. Thank you all for watching. Check out... Monday show, and then check out Oscars betting, XFL preview. It's going to be a fun week on the Pat Mayo Experience. I'll see you next time. Pat Mayo Experience! Experience!